Listen, Dad, are mobile suits more important to you than human beings? <sighs> it almost looks like this mobile suit is shaking in terror. It's a mobile suit! Amaro, is that you inside that mobile suit? Let's just see. Let's test the reaction time of your brand new mobile suit. You alone are responsible for the mobile suit now. Is that understood? These are the days when you wish your bed was already made. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Wish it was Sunday. That's Matt. Tomorrow Ray. I don't have to run days. It's just another mobile suit. Monday. Amaro Ray Mobile suit In war, to keep the upper hand, you have to think two or three moves ahead of the enemy Hey guys, welcome back to another mobile-rific, zigzion-tastic episode of Fanholes Mobile Suit Mondays. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, but I am not alone on the white base. I am here with all my fellow crew. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everyone know who is here tonight. Hey, it's Mike, and in this episode, Amaro fights Earth's strongest Zeon. Hey, this is Justin. Hey, guys, this is Tony. My God, that Gundam is beautiful. All right, give me the bomb. Awesome, awesome. All right, so we are here. We're actually here doing our chronological coverage of the original Mobile Suit Gundam anime from 1979. The episode we're going to be talking about is the 14th episode, and it is entitled Time Be Still. The Japanese air date was July 6th, 1979. And of course, the English dub aired in the USA August 9th, 2001. So we've got the, the standard intro that sets up the show and the one-year war and is focused now on the Zabi family. And then, you know, it gives us the Cliff Notes version of the white base escaping side seven and making its way to Earth. But it also notes that Amuro saying goodbye to his long lost mother was an even heavier burden than all the battles that the white base crew have been fighting with one another. And then we get the title card, time be still. And this is this is now I will ask you guys to look at what I posted in the chat if you can. But basically in the opening, a magician entertains Xeon soldiers like something out of a Bob Hope USO show. At the same base, Gial, a Xeon soldier, performs maintenance on his Zaku. His buddies, Sol and Kurin, discuss their plans to attack the Prototype Federation mobile suit. And if you look at the Gundam wiki, there is a note about the magician that's entertaining the Xeon soldiers. And this magician that's entertaining them at the beginning of the episode is noted as recycling the same character design of Edwind, a mega board from Tamino's previous anime work entitled Invincible Steelman Daitarn 3. And so I had never seen this before, so I actually watched a few episodes of Daitarn 3. And Edwin is, you know, a mega Borg, so that's like one of the bad guys. So it's, you know, it's kind of very 
you know, Sentai type super robot show, you know, it actually I, I think Justin would like it because the lead character is a bit James Bondy type thing. He's got like this red tuxedo with a bow tie and things like that in certain sequences and stuff like that. And then he's got these two like hot hot as f babes that like are his quote-unquote assistants and then of course there's like a little kid who kind of looks like like a little shit version of amuro if he ate too many twinkies but but it's you know it's it kind of it toggles back and forth you know it's, it's very much like 70s japanese programming where there's opening sequences where like entire cities get flooded and people drown and die and get shot and all this other stuff but then there's like goofy ass shit where the kids like running into walls and the kind of wah 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 kind of like you know wacky stuff but the the reason why i brought it up and the reason why i put some screen grabs in there is so you could see this this guy like the megaborgs are kind of like you know sentai or power ranger villains they look human ish to start with but it turns out they're like you know kind of like cyborg robot rebuilt humans that work for the bad guys basically so edwin was this magician the lead character fights him and he turns into a mega borg which is basically like you know when whenever anything from power rangers grows it's kind of like they turn into a big giant kaiju type monster and in this case he's like this giant magician type you know kaiju that you know spits out like you know playing cards and all kinds of you know the tropes that would follow with that but I just sort of wanted to point out that as a as a gag, you know, it's like if you do look at it, I mean, it's it's pretty much the same design. Right. So there, you know, nobody's saying it's a crossover, but uh, it, it it certainly looks the same. So you think it was like a intentional, like kind of Easter egg, like, you know, it's like he's obviously a magician in this Gundam episode and he's a magician in that episode of Die Tarn. So it's kind of like, hey, 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 did you catch it? You think it's that yeah, kind of yeah. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I mean, the the notion was that that the guy Edwin was like a normal human being until the the bad guys in the, you know, the super robot show kind of, you know, I don't know. He, you know, somebody stubbed his toe and he became a a mega Borg and wanted to take it out on his his, you know, fellow humanity, which, you know, he rejected once he became a Megaborg, right? So, you know, and I, you know, anyway, I, I just figured that was the note and I'd put some explanation for it. And it was kind of interesting seeing Tamino work on something that was not part of the real robot genre. You know, it's always, I, I guess I always kind of think of it as like, you know, DC versus Marvel type stuff. You know, it's like the super robot genre, like it's it's fun. It's it, it's not super serious. Like they're, they're stuffing the the lead character in a in a cannon at one point and he's like his hands are tied behind his back so he can't get out but then he tries to get out just crawling up using his feet and then you know the guy edwin like smacks the cannon so he plops back down you know it's like there's 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 kind of goofy ass shit in it like like silver age dc but then there's also kind of like you know semi you know like from the 70s in japan there's like kind of super real stuff where like people are getting like shot in the chest and dying and all this other stuff. So, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I, I just thought it was kind of interesting. That, that is kind of funny too, that like, uh, this magician, like, you know, who looks like this other character or has the same design. He also pretty much gets booed off the stage. They're like, bring all the girls. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what they kind of are complaining about. Like when, when, Gial is meeting up with Soul and Curin. Like they're like, he's like, why aren't you 
you know, why aren't you basically watching Bob Hope? You know, he's he's giving you guys a show. And and they're kind of like, dude, like, there's no chicks here. Like, the show kind of sucks. Do you know what I mean? Like, like they're like, they're not, they're not like super into it, right? So. Yeah, that's that cool. kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, that's the same scene basically in Captain America, like the first Avenger, when he goes yeah. out to that like tour and they're all like, yeah. get off the stage. Like, where are the yep. girls? Yeah. Right, right, right. Exact, exact same thing. So continuing nearby under the cover of Moonlight and the Forest, Miss Matilda meets with Whiteface to have the ship's engine repaired and their supplies replenished by dawn. She tells Bright that the she tells Bright that General Revel not only kept him from being court-martialed, but has had him promoted to the official rank of ensign. Amaro then comes up the ladder to see Miss Matilda, but Bright tells him it's time to get some rest. After some encouraging words from his recent crush, Amaro gives her a yes ma'am and heads down to his bunk. Downstairs, a jealous Frau Bo waits for Amaro outside his room with a long army overcoat, but leaves angrily with Haro when he finally arrives. So, I'm not a Frau Bo stan like Justin, but I will Boo. admit... Boo uh, this but, man! But, but, let me finish. But, there is something about Frau Bo in a man's long army coat waiting outside for Amaro to give him a booty call that, like, is... I, I, I can see oh, why yeah. one would be a Frau Bo stand if one chose to be I, a Frau Bo stand. I got... I, I have some thoughts about this scene. Like, I feel yeah, like... Yeah. Well, like, I, I feel like I have to... Like, I need a stool and a cigarette and like a glass of scotch or something and I gotta put on like a British accent and it's like and now it's time for Mike's deep sad thoughts about Frau Bo like, okay. like I don't like I, I I guess I'm somewhere in between like you and Justin like I, I think like watching this show for the first time like most people you know with the, just a surface scan of it kind of think probably think you know Frau was like a naggy like annoyance or whatever but I don't know over the years like reading the novelization like watching Gundam the origin and then like re-watching this original series I kind of like I don't know I guess appreciate is the word like what a kind of tragic character she is sort mm -hmm. of like if that's mm -hmm. the word for it like she kind of it kind of her and Amaro's interactions like fill me with this kind of like bittersweet feeling like of like when maybe when I was that age of like girls that like in retrospect that I like can tell now that were totally into me but I was totally oblivious about it and like or or, or I was just not mature enough to like recognize that and like you know to, what do you call act on it or whatever so like i, I don't know like i i kind of like look at me like i'm all enlightened and shit now like i'm looking at it from like fraubo's perspective kind yeah, of like yeah she, you know she clearly is totally head over heels in love with amaro but amaro does not know like what he wants at this point so like i mean it's like that scene where she's like walking away and she kind of pauses at the end of the hallway and keeps walking like that's kind of like I don't know. Sad. I feel bad for her, basically, like because she, you know, she's obviously and she cares like and it's not like a jealous or a bitter thing. She really, really cares about Amaro. So it's kind of hard for her to see him like, you know, head over heels for Matilda or well, you know, whatever. I mean, else. Like, I, I agree that it's not a bitter thing, but I, I don't agree that it's not a jealous thing. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, like, yeah. 
Well, I mean, you know, it is, but I mean, like, just like, I, I would say like, you know, it, it's, she, her feelings are intentional, like, or, you know, they, they're real, even if she is jealous, like, it's not like yeah. she's like, yeah. you know, she's possessive of him or whatever. She, she, know, maybe she was intending to like, maybe, you know, she's a teenage girl. So, I mean, maybe she was saying like, oh, maybe if I, you know, show up at, in, at his room and maybe yeah. he'll invite me in or, you know, mm-hmm. something will happen, but. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. I feel uh, she I, I don't know. And you go into like what happens to her, like down the timeline and stuff. And I mean, you know, she ends up marrying Hayato and like, you know, she has his kid and she adopts all the other war or war orphans and whatever. But like, I think Tamino himself has said like, oh, like Frau and Hayato only married because it was like, you know, of it was a convenient marriage, basically. And she needed like someone to help him help her take care of those kids or whatever. So like she probably never got over Amaro. Like Amaro went on to have like a bunch of different relationships, but she kind of, you know, when when they reunite in Zeta, it's like she's pregnant with like Hayato's like child and like, you know, Amaro's like stuck him at like Federation like reservation basically. Yeah, yeah. Where they're keeping an eye on him. And like I know I read some interview with Tamino where he talks about that scene. And he's talking about like, oh, Amaro's like matured now. Like he knows, like he he recognizes what like Fraubo like sees in him and what he sees in her. And it says like you might think that um, you know when like in that scene in Zeta when like Cats like sort of is like a like you know calling Amaro out like why are you why are you just chilling here when you could be joining like the Aug and whatever and like you know he gets all he like kind of spurs Amaro into action. And, like, Amaro's kind of all, like, you know, like, get off my case, kid, like, at first. And, like, I think Tamino says in this interview, it's, like, Amaro is actually more upset that that Katz is, like, butting into his time with Frau than he is that what Katz is actually saying. So, like, <laughs> you know, like, like you know, he, like, maybe he would have, him and Frau could have had something if circumstances were different, but, like... Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I guess what I'm basically what I'm saying is I kind of appreciate Frau's character a lot more like now than I used to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I definitely have more to say about that that relationship later. But I mean, I think it's it's good that this opens it up and everything. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, Kill 'Em All Tamino probably is big fan of tragic romance. In Amro's defense, like what Michael was trying to kind of posit. I don't even, you definitely get the idea that Amro is not even aware that he's friend zoning her. You know, he's not trying to be a douche. He's just like, oh, my friend, Bravo. You know, like, you know, like, he's not like, you know, like, the way woman, I don't want you. He's just like, you're my friend. We, we, we've been talking about like Bravo and the coat, you know, kind of being like, you know, the, uh, I guess you would say if this was a John Hughes movie, the, uh, the, uh, nerdy girl who is pretty on the inside waiting for her like you know like long lost love you know she's got the coat on she, she almost has like a boom box over her head uh, <laughs> did Frau Bell uh, John Cusack is that what you're trying to say uh, way way cuter way cuter but yeah but, but more or less yeah she, she, she wants Amaro to like you know notice her thin pie basically but also, if we're talking about, like, you know, if I talk about, like, like said, the scene layout, when Amaro's coming up the ladder, and there's that fucking, I mean, there's no other way to put it, beauty shot of Miss Matilda, 
it is almost like a military version of the Phoebe Cates scene from Rich, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm. It's almost just like, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely like one of those things where you, you feel like that that's that shot of Miss Matilda is the shot that goes in like all the White Snake music videos. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that's that's like the, you know, the, the what do they call it? You know, with, with, you know, it's like the, the beauty shot or the, you know, you know, however, however you want to phrase it, but that it's, it's uh, this pan up and it's all from Amaro's perspective. And I mean, you could argue that Amaro doesn't know what he wants, but to me, it's, it's, it's a emotional want and need of a young man at a certain age, but he, knows what he wants it's just he's not gonna get it like that's i mean that's uh you know it's not unusual right i think he knows that like miss matilda is out of his league but but yeah well we 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 could talk about this more but i i i think the the other stuff i was gonna touch on in this in terms of differences because i always pay attention to the you know, the Japanese language and then also like the movie dub, I try to compare it to. And in the Japanese language version, as opposed to this English dub, the English dub, Miss Matilda says that General Revel kept Bright from being court-martialed. And in the Japanese language, they actually say kept him from being executed. So, I mean, they're both pretty serious, but when someone says executed, that's almost like they were going to, you know, string them up or put them in front of a firing squad or some shit, which is, you know, I mean, court-martialed is pretty fucking bad, but but doesn't necessarily mean they're going to kill them. You know what I mean? Like, and so that's, I, I, I think that's an interesting distinction. And I think in the Japanese version, his reaction makes more sense. He's like, have we executed? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, come again? Yeah, exactly. You don't like being a guinea pig, do you, Ensign Bright? Well, I haven't received such orders. Me? Ensign? Yes. Well, anyway, that's what General Revel said. They'll notify you of your new rank soon enough. They sure like to jerk us around. If it wasn't for General Revel intervening on your behalf, you would have been court-martialed long ago. Hmm? Court-martialed? Yes. And in terms of the, the movie dub some of the differences there honestly the, the movie dub barely touches on this episode so this is the closest this is the only sequence that you're going to get in the the movies the movie versions of this but in in the movie dub and i i think also in the you know whether it's the english language movie dub or or the the japanese language it's interesting because in this sequence they talk about court marshals and promotions and you know, data collection and how they're using white base as guinea pigs. And that's why they're, you know, restocking them and repairing the engine and all that stuff. But the one thing that doesn't come up that comes up in the movies, regardless of if it's dubbed or subtitled. And also, I believe this comes up in the Gundam, the origin manga, because I know that, you know, it seems to me like the movies have been more canonized than the TV show to a certain degree in terms of projects and the fandom and all that other stuff is this is the first time 
I see them, or at least in, in this context, this is the first time new type talk comes up in the movies. And so in addition to talking about, you know, I don't know, attacks in Europe and all, all the other stuff that they're discussing, the intel that Miss Matilda and Bright are, you know, having the conversation about. Another thing that comes up is new types and, oh, they're espers and, you know, the, you know, the Xeon or, you know, researching about these new types and all this other stuff. And, you know, there, there's even, I think in the origin, there's a, there's a panel where, you know, Bright's almost like, Oh, you think I could be one of these great guys? Ho, ho, ho. Or what, you know, like it's like kind of a, a funny sequence where he kind of gets a big head or whatever for like a panel or two or something like that. And then the, the other thing that was interesting is in this, it's a, in the, the dub and the, the TV show, it's a promotion to Ensign. And this is something that's specifically movie dub related, but they basically say he's promoted to Lieutenant JG, which is Lieutenant Junior Grade. So that's slightly a higher rank than, I guess, Ensign. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. At the same time, we'll investigate all these rumors we keep hearing about new types. Uh, what are new types? I haven't heard the rumors. You will. They're... They're like super espers. They have fantastic mental energies and powers of intuition so incredible that many people are tempted to believe they're supernatural. Hmm. If only we had a few people like that working with us, we could get rid of the Zeons in no time at all. By the way, congratulations, Lieutenant J.G. Huh? Is that a promotion? I'm a what? What's the matter, Armoron? Huh? Matter? What do you mean? You ought to be sleeping. It's well past your bedtime, kid. Yeah, right. Amaro? Yes? Being a pilot is a big responsibility. Part of your job is getting a healthy amount of rest. I will. Thank you. Good night, ma'am. Good night, Lieutenant JG. As far as the exchange between Amaro and Frau Bo in the movie dub, Amaro says his excuse instead of the bathroom is, oh, I was I, I, I was going to the lounge, you know, like, and and that's the, the main difference. So they keep those sequences in the movie but then after that it seems like it immediately goes into the rombaral arc so they're you know the 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 crux or the 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 majority of what occurs in this episode is not covered in the movies but i just sort of wanted to point those differences out i came by to see you where were you uh, i stepped out to the lounge for a minute the lounge is that way amaro all right so what What's wrong with you? Nothing's huh? wrong. Good night, Amaro. Sleep well. Let's go, Haro. What's with her? I don't believe him. Is it really so criminal to have taken control of Whiteface and Gundam, Lieutenant? Well, is it? Until just recently. My good Ensign Bright Noah. So, where did you go, Amaro? The restroom. It's that way. Yeah, well, whatever, Frau. What is it? Nothing. Nothing, Amaro. Let's go, Haru. <gasps> what was that? Amaro, have you had breakfast yet? No, sir. Not yet, sir. Do it now. We're going to be flying through Xeon territory. 
Gundam will be on combat alert. I, I will. Right away, sir. By dawn, Amuro rushes to the White Base Bridge to catch a last glimpse of Miss Matilda as her Medea flies off. Frau Bo is crestfallen that Amuro has eyes only for Miss Matilda. Bright orders Amuro to have Gundam ready on standby as the White Base takes off. While both flight paths appear to be clear for the White Base and Miss Matilda's Medea, the Medea is eventually spotted by two Xeon pilots in a Lagoon reconnaissance aircraft. The Xeon base then mobilizes and Gial heads out in his Zaku. In addition, a squadron of WAPA, wheelless aero-palletized personal actuators, which are small reconnaissance and patrol hovercraft, kind of like, I don't know, like, like Cobra... What are they called? Cobra uh, Trouble Bubbles, kind of, almost? Are assembled by Chief Curin and Sol as part of a plan to take down the Gundam. So, I I said I, I did have some more stuff to say about Miss Matilda, I guess. And then this, I don't know, maybe it'll spur more conversation between me and Mike, I don't know. But, like, for me, how Amuro is... and. And I'm not trying to do this to be a star fucker, and I'm not going to fully name by names, but Justin at least knows who I'm talking about. But how Amuro is with Miss Matilda is how I used to be with Linda. Like, it it, it, it made me think about that a lot because it was one of those things where the, the thing that always haunted me about it is I literally had those moments that Amuro has, but, but Amuro... Frau Bo doesn't directly confront him with it. Like she's she's upset, but she says nothing, and she says nothing, especially in the the English dub, in a very clear like it is something way. Nothing, nothing, Amaro. Do you know what I mean? Like the way she says, "Oh, it's nothing." Like, and she says it in a way that clearly it it hurt her and it means something and everything. And, like, I remember being in, honestly, being in multiple situations. And it kind of haunted me to where I, I put a line of dialogue in my my senior thesis play that I wrote. And 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 it was a line of dialogue. Like, there, there were all these lines of dialogue where people were spouting the same line, but from different characters over and over again. And it's kind of like the things that stuck with me that like, I couldn't, you know, these, these things that people had said to me that I, I couldn't get rid of over the years. And, and one of them was, you never look at her the way you look, uh, you never look at me the way you look at her type thing. And like, that was literally something that was said to me, you know what I mean? So it was like, imagine if, Frau Bo said that to Amaro about Miss Matilda. And it's clear if you if you read between the lines, right, that the, the reason why she's so disappointed in the morning on the bridge is she can see that look in his eyes and the, you know, kind of, I don't know, the the, the kind of, it, 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 he's not, he's not old enough to hide it, right? He can't turn it off, you know? And and I, I remember, you know, it was funny, too, because there would be there would be other instances. I remember I was going out with another girl at the time and then uh, and then she, she was I, I forget what it was. I think we were all there to see a play and she was there to see it, too. And 
then we ran into each other and we you know it was like this weird thing where you you it's like oh this is you know you introduce people and all that other stuff but like it was almost like that was like one of those things where it's like oh you know again you don't look at me like you look at her type thing and so it's like and i guess you know i mean people can tell right like and so that's i mean th this is almost like i mean later in the episode she's still giving him water and she's all happy to be by his side and all that other stuff but this is this is kind of a key moment in the the de-evolution of of their relationship or at least you know that what what you're referring to is like the tragedy of of frau Bo, right like so i, I and it was just something that you know, it, it just made me think of that a lot. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I, I know one thing that really, like, it's not quite the scene, but it, it happens pretty soon after this. Uh, you know, and uh, I'm sorry, listeners, but I'm just going to use this term. Uh, Amaro totally goes for big dick energy, too, because uh, Bright Noah is like, hmm, there seems to be, uh, you know, uh, forces converging on the Medea, uh, you know, and like, and right there, there, Amaro's like, I'll go, I'll help, and up to this point, you know, Amaro is, you know, been classified as a guy who doesn't want to fight, and even Bright Noah's like, but you'll go, you want to, like, you're no hesitation, and like I said, you know, it's big dick energy, he doesn't, he's not aware of it, but he wants to be her hero. He wants to save her. And, you know, yeah, that's not in his head. He's just like, I want to, you know, I want to help Miss Matilda. But, it, you know, it's in the back of his head. You know, I could save her. I could be the hero. I can, you know, make sure she gets through this. And also, that has to affect Frau Bo, too. It's like, he's willing to give his life to go save this woman. And, he, and he's always not scared of fighting, but he hates to fight. And for her, he's like, I will fight for her. You know, watch me go. You know, it, it is like a, a big thing, you know. The other thing I noticed was kind of like Mirai and Bright. Like, I, I was kind of thinking of them as like, I, 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 I don't know that I've ever experienced this myself, but I've seen people describe it sometimes, especially on social media, where they'll say like, oh, I'm, I'm the work mom. Or I'm, you know, I guess in some cases with Bright, it'd be I'm the work dad. And I guess what that means is they're not they're not biological parents of, of these co-workers, but they they treat them as, you know, they, they try to, you know, I don't know, give them advice and and, you know, ostensibly love them like they're their own children type thing you know treat them as a as as a a you know son or daughter or nephew or niece or what have you like some somebody that they you know they, they would do the same for you know their, their own offspring right and I I, I kind of feel like Mirai and Bright in this situation it's like Amaro have you eaten breakfast you know what I mean like like it's like that's it's like he's not his dad but like he's He's kind of his work dad. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's kind of like, you know, like, uh, you know, and it's the same thing when, when Mirai, you know, has conversations with, with Frau Bo. It's kind of like she's the, the work mom or something like that. Well, in, in, early in the, the earlier scene with uh, Miss Matilda and uh, Bright Noah, uh, when Amaril comes up, 
the first thing Noah says is like, you know, should you be asleep? You know, uh, you got to get your rest. You know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, some of that is some of that is butt the fuck out of my conversation. Like, why are you being a peeping Tom here? But but some of it is is probably genuine. Like, hey, you know, you're a pilot. You need you need your rest. You need to be on your A game. You don't we don't need you tired out in the battlefield. So it's probably it's probably a little of column A and a little of column B. So the, the Medea and the Zaku exchange fire, and this enables Zeon Lagoon to shoot the Medea's right turbine. Amuro quests the launch Gundam to help Miss Matilda. Amuro makes short work of the Lagoon and engages the Zaku so the Medea can escape. When the Wapa sneak up on the Gundam, Amuro begins to target the squad and take them down as well. He shoots down one Wapa, and then his right hand gets the quote-unquote shakes. However, Amuro is determined to pursue the squadron. And then at that point, uh, I guess it's interesting because you, you had brought up, you know, the what you're calling the big dick energy, right, Tony? And to me, it seemed like in the Japanese language version, Amuro's eagerness to launch in Gundam is a little bit more subtle. Like, I, I think in the dub, it's more like, I want to go help Miss Matilda, you know, and it's kind of like, OK, go, go launch. You know, whereas this is more like, I want to help. And Bright's like, really? You you want to go out like like for reals? Because just like what you were saying, his his typical M.O. had been like, God damn it. Do I have to sortie? Like, I don't want to. Why am I being forced to do this? You guys are bullies. And you know what I mean? Whereas in this particular instance, there is there is an eagerness. You know, there there is that kind of, uh, you know, thinking with your dick type, you know, I'm going to go into battle, you know, I'm going to impress Miss Matilda and whatever. And I, I, I kind of found it interesting because it's, there's this, it, it seems like in the, the dub, there's an aspect of taking it literally, I think, where she, she basically is like, well, you know, he shouldn't have come out and done that, but, uh, we don't want to, you know, uh, basically we don't want all his effort to go to nothing so let's escape and let's get out of here whereas i feel like the japanese text like when they translate it it's interesting because i feel like it's almost more metatextual or at least for me it felt more metatextual because it's like she's she's a little less abrasive because she's like oh you know let's not waste the you know, she's almost like, let's thank the pilot for his, you know, him looking out for us, even, you know, even though, you know, we, we probably could have gotten out of this on our own. Like, let's let's thank the pilot for his efforts. And, and they have that little exchange and she ends it with don't pursue it too far, Amaro. And I think literally she's talking about the Xeon forces, but I feel like metatextually it's like. Yes, I I appreciate your big dick energy, but don't don't push it because it's it 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 probably isn't gonna go where you think it's gonna go type thing. I don't know. That's that that well, was kind of my take on it. It, it kind of reminded me like that little exchange. Like like I said, I watched the uh the the sub like uh, you have already watched, and um it reminded me a lot of uh, Macross. With Rick Hunter and uh, Lisa Hayes, or Miesa Hayes, uh, early on, where Rick would go out in his uh, Veritech 
And at some point he would do something stupid. He would try to like, you know, go after this or try to save someone or, or whatever. And, and, and Hayes would be like, you know, appreciative of his courage, but like, don't get yourself killed because that's stupid. We need you. And also at that point in their relationship, she was not into Rick. You know, she was like, quit, you know, quit flirting with me. You know, <laughs> like, like she would say that at Macross, but like, that was kind of what, you know, Miss Matilda was saying, like, you know, cool your jets you know, fly boy, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I guess after Amaro gets the shakes and is determined to pursue the squadron, we are on our first commercial break. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast, part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. And then we're back from commercial break, and the Wapa ultimately lead Amuro and the Gundam into a trap. They place a series of bombs on Gundam and plan to fire the bombs. Gundam's shield is quickly blown apart. Amuro then realizes what the Xeon troops have done and swats them away with a wind shear generated by the quick movement of what is left of his shield. As Chief Kirin and the Xeon soldiers watch from afar with binoculars, the white base lands to assist Amuro to remove the bombs. After consulting with Omir and Bright, Amuro decides to manually remove the bombs himself, knowing they will explode in a short amount of time. Amuro manages to remove four of the five remaining bombs from Gundam with a minute and a half to spare, but finds to his horror that the final bomb is under Gundam's leg and begins to furiously dig to get the room to remove it. The rest of the crew rush onto the scene. Hayato leaps into the cockpit to lift the leg so Amuro can remove the final bomb. Amuro, Ryu, and Kai head off with the bombs for about a mile in two jeeps and then quickly depart in one jeep as the bombs explode behind them. Impressed with the bravery of Amuro, the Xeon approach the white base crew disguised as civilians in a station wagon. They tell Amuro to keep up the good fight, but Bright and Mirai are the only ones savvy enough to know that those were the same Xeon that planted the bombs in the first place. What did you think about the uh, Japanese uh, sub, the, the original version, between uh, Mirai and uh, Frau Bo, where, you know, Frau is obviously very worried about Amaro. There, there's, there's a conflict going on. They don't know exactly what's happening with the uh, Wapas, I believe they're called. And they have the, the whole situation we'll get into here soon. Like, she calls her cruel and then, like, you know, you're mean because, like, you know, she's like, you, you can't help him, you know? Like, 
it, it, either he dies by himself and it's one casualty or there's going to be many deaths. And like Frau Bo is just like, you're heartless, you know, you're cool. It's like, is that a mom thing or did you think that's more of a Japanese culture thing where it's like, you know, or a military thing even maybe? I mean, it's an interesting discussion because at that particular point when Amuro's, you know, defusing all the bombs, that's when Frau Bo is kind of like, you guys are a bunch of cowards and, you know, what, why can't I go out and do it instead of Amuro? Like she, she basically wants to trade her life for his. And, and do I think Mirai's being a, a work mom in that instance? I mean, yeah, sort of. I mean, you know, she's, she's trying to, you know, tell her, look, hey, I, it's almost like, yeah, we, we know you care, but, you know, what, you know, basically it, it seems like for the most part, the notion is, look, these bombs can go off at any minute. So it's better that one person gets blown up than the entire crew, right? Like that's, you know, the needs of the the one or the needs of the many outweigh the, the needs of the one or the few, right? And and that that's how they're operating. And then the 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 one thing that changes that, which which I find kind of interesting, is he can't defuse the last bomb because it's stuck under the leg. And I think, you know, like Bright's intent is to go out alone and, and help him with it. But it seems like the minute everybody realizes and, you know, you, you have to question, like, like I, I think they would have gone out whether Frau Vo had her little meltdown or not, but it might have played a part, right? Because then they all immediately go into action. And it's funny how he's like, no, you guys, come back. I, I was just supposed to be me. And, like, then it's like, then it's like two Jeeps worth of them come out, which actually proved to be better for, you know what I mean? So that they can drive off in two Jeeps and then jump into the one and race off and all that other kind of stuff, you know, like, so uh, I think it all worked out for the best, but it, it, it just seems like, I, I guess what I thought of it as, if you're going to bring it back to like the work comparison, it, you know, it's like these, like, I I would want the white base crew at my back, right? Because they when 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 the shit literally hit the fan, they all had Amaro's back. Do you know what I mean? Like they were all jumping into death's arms and danger and all that stuff. And I just think this, you know, it's a very tense climax. It's very well done. They ramp up the you know the the tense music you know to the, like you know so it's blasting at that last moment and everything so it's very exciting and very tense and you're like oh is this bomb gonna blow up in everybody's face and everything and you know so you 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 have that the weight of that there but but in addition you, you know when when all is said and done you're kind of like man th those are you know th th these are good crewmates to have right because when when the chips were down, they had his back. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody was almost working in tandem, like a single unit. You know, Ryu jumps off and Hayato leaps up off Ryu's back to get into the cockpit and they pull up the leg. And, you know, 
then you know you know basically bright supervising like he always does oh yes it's under the leg like you know whatever but you know it, it basically it all it all comes together right like they're all they're you know they're all doing what they need to do basically right you know sometimes i question i was like well you know i mean unless unless you know i think sailor was driving one of the cars but a part of me is like oh did did they really all have to go out? Because that seems like a little ludicrous. But I think I think some emotion was involved in that. But I mean, for the most part, it seemed like when they were finally dispersing the bomb, at least it was like at least it was like not everybody drove off with the bombs. It was just like Amaro, uh, Ryu, and Kai. But still, I mean, it it, it worked. You know, like I, you get the idea that you know. I mean, you know. In, in today's vernacular, you know, it'd be the stupid meme with Vin Diesel where it's like family, bro, or whatever the fuck, you know, right? Like, like that yeah. kind of stupid thing. And that's, you know, again, they're, they're not biologically related, but because of all the shit that they've gone through in, in wartime and on this ship and as a crew, right? There, there's that aspect of the, the, the sort of the bonds of family through, you know, the, the struggles and trials and tribulations that they've all shared. And, and, and there's also possibly uh, maybe a, a callback to the beginning of the uh, episode with Bright and Matilda having their conversation where maybe Bright was like, okay, I have to do this like more by the book. <clears throat> you know, it's like we should sacrifice one person because that's, 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 uh, uh, proper military protocol, like you know, like you said, one for the many is 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 one casualty is better than six casualties. But at at a point, he he breaks and he's like, no, you know, Almaro's Al like my son, you know, more or less, like you said, I'm work dad. I'm gonna be work dad. I'm gonna go save my son, and like you know, he breaks that protocol, and that's kind of why white base and the Gundam units are have survived for so long because like you said in the end they get each other's backs even if it's a stupid idea for like 10 people to go out and get blown up it usually works out in their favor usually not always but their their bond as a crew make them more willing to help each other than just strict yes sir no sir because i mean we got to remember like you know bright Noah is probably the oldest person at this point maybe you know in the crew that's a, a ranked officer uh and these are these are all kids these are all fucking kids you know so they don't know military protocol they don't know like you know the the proper way of doing things they they just more often than not act impulsively you know, I had no memory of ever watching this episode, and I don't know why, because there's the whole bomb sequence. I mean, you'd, you'd think I would at least remember that because there's some drama to it, especially with, you know, trying to beat the clock and then eventually everyone rushing out to help Amaro. I had no memory of that. And then the stuff with Frau Bo and, you know, Amaro being jealous, like, I had no memory of that either. So I don't know. I mean, I know I've seen every episode of the series i just don't know why i have no memory of this episode i don't it got deleted or you know i drank it away I, d I don't know what happened but that memory is gone but you know watching this it was like watching it for the first time going back to like the frau stuff yeah i'm a frau you know 
Stan, if you want to say, it it feels like whenever Amuro interacts with her positively, it's either she's being caring is not the right word, like kind of like maternal, like she's there to like give him a blanket or food or or, or something like that. You know, it just it feels like those instances are the only ways Amuro will like even acknowledge her sometimes like in a positive way i don't i don't know if that's just me because i pay attention to Frabo a bit more but i i don't know i mean uh, i don't know but um yeah like when i first started watching this episode i thought it was like the miss matilda episode and i was like oh no I, i'm i'm not in the right headspace for this right now but i was like oh okay it's not and i just have no memory of this episode so sometimes i think that's because those you know it's like they try to I don't know, rewrite history or whatever with those movie versions. And like I said, this mm. is this is barely, you know what I mean? Like, like you know, at best, you know, two minutes of this is in the movie. You know what I mean? Like, whereas, you know, like certain things, like as we've discussed, as we go through it, they don't make the cut. But, you know, th- this is kind of one of those episodes, except for, you know, the 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 exchange between Bright and and miss matilda and the repairs and then the sort of you know frau Bo looking kind of sexy in the army coat waiting for amuro you know at his bunk like and other than that they don't have any you know more of this episode so i i could kind of understand like you know you know how sometimes you get you know i, I don't know maybe, maybe maybe this is not the the excuse for you but i mean you know sometimes people get into a headspace where you know maybe all they watch is the I don't know the Star Wars special editions, or all they watch is the original, so they mm. they forget one or the other because right. they're you know, or you know, it could be the motion picture Star Trek director's cut versus the original, and you're like, oh, I don't remember, you know, this sequence with Chekhov or you know, this sequence with Ilya or whatever and Decker, you know, like because you don't watch it as often, and and I kind of feel like okay, well, you know, think about it, like how many times have you done a full watch through of this series? And I I do yeah. to say like that this might be my you know second and third all at the same time because of how I go about preparing for this. But you know, again, I don't think there's any shame. And to to, to me, like it was like I thought this was engaging. I thought it was exciting. I liked watching it. I thought it was a good episode. But I'd, I'd kind of be in your boat, too, where I'd be like, do I remember this, like, shot for shot, word for word? No. I think the thing that stands out to me the most is that the um, what we discussed, the kind of loving pan shot from Amaro's perspective of Miss Matilda. Do you know what I mean? Like, that that I remember. But but outside of that imagery, I, I don't think as much of it sticks with me. And I'd be willing to bet I've seen the movie versions more and I've seen uh, a full run through of the TV series. Like I, I can almost guarantee you, I've seen the movies more times. And then, in terms of like weird, like technology in this universe, like I, I don't know why I don't remember these hover bikes because they're so weird, and they've got like Tommy guns on like this like overhead like swivel mount. Like those things are so weird. I'm like, um, I don't know. <laughs> It's like, okay, only in an anime in the 70s would you see something like that looks that weird. Like, 
yeah, like something like that would never exist in real life. I'm just like, whoa, I definitely don't remember these like weird machine gun bikes or whatever. I mean, I don't know if they have machine guns, but I, I feel like these days, like every once in a while, I get a video to some weird, you know, air type machine that costs like a good billion dollars because, you know, it's a prototype kind of hover kind of thing, you know, that basically is either air powered or hovers over the desert or the water or whatever it does, you know? So it's like, I almost feel like these things could exist, but whether they, I mean, it seems to me like it'd be ridiculous if you use them for military app, you know, like if you put a Tommy gun on it and you started trying to like send those into battle, I feel like the, the first time it got shot, it would like implode into a yeah. ball of fire and not, not be strategically sound, but but as far as things existing like that, I feel like, you know, potentially these days, there, there's probably something like that. But I, I almost think that they'd be like a limited run and they couldn't be mass produced cheaply. So at least at this point. They kind of remind me of the speeder bikes from Star Wars where it's like, are they fast? Sure. Are they cool looking? Sure. Will they explode in a million pieces if you look at them wrong? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. One one bit I really, really related to in this episode was, uh, and, and I'm glad they addressed it because it was like like something I thought of, and then the episode immediately addressed it. Was that like when after they plant the bombs on Gundam and they run away to like wait for the timers to go off? I'm like, man, why didn't you get like some kind of remote detonator or something like so you could just blow it up when you didn't have to wait? But then they address it where they're like, oh, command couldn't afford to send us like remote detonation devices or whatever. So we got to make do with these time bombs. And like, like, I think I can super relate to like corporate not giving you the right tools to do your job. <laughs> do your like, job. And then yeah. blaming you when the job doesn't get done because you could only use the shit they sent you. Like so. But yeah, that that really I related to that <laughs> probably too much. Well, it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, th there's this outpost base, but it's got one fucking Zaku. And then all these rinky-dink ships that, like Tony says, you just is look at them wrong and they fucking explode. And then and then, and then, then it's like sitting there, it's like, I mean, I, I know their thing was like, oh, if we just nail this Gundam, we can all go home, you know, and get out of the fucking bugs or whatever the fuck, you know? And like, I, I mean, I kind of, you know, it's funny how, you know, these... These shows always have that all quiet on the Western front aspect to it where they don't, you know, it's it's, it's never, you know, I mean, yeah, there, there's scenes where Shard laughs maniacally and whatnot, right? But it's like no one's ever a mustache twirling bad guy. Do you know what I mean? They always take time to point out that these are just, you know, they're, they're people, you know, just like, you know you know it's not like the federation are the only human beings and then everybody else is a monster you know that's what makes this a real robot genre you know anime as opposed to a super robot where you know when when when, when banjo in in uh Diturn 3 is is taking out a billion fucking you know robot borgs or whatever right it's like they're they're all clearly you know these mindless evil drones that you know it's not like you're gonna feel bad even though like some of the some of the sequences in that where he 
he shoots guys in the chest and it's almost like you're looking at it because they you know it's like it's like okay it's a it's a cyborg but then it's still got this giant like hole in its chest and it almost looks like blood is coming out the back you know like that kind of thing but you're like ah it's a robot like and it's uh it's evil so like that's you know what i mean like that's normal whereas in this you might get to know some of these characters and if you saw one of these guys you know, get a hole in his chest or whatever. You know, like like something you think about is Amuro did take out one of those wapas, right? Like, so one of those guys probably had to get toasted. You know what I mean? And and, and I, I don't know. That, that's something I always find interesting about whether it's Star Trek or anything else is like, you know, you're off to explore strange new worlds and do all this stuff. And in the midst of doing that, like, people die. And not like, they die because like a palm tree fell on them or something that was like, Oh, this is completely out of control. But like people die because you're doing first contact and you know, I don't know, some, you know, guy from the planet of rock monster, you know, pooped on somebody the wrong way and they fucking died. Right. And then it's like you, in, in our context, right. If it was like, Oh, you're so backward, you know, Derek or whatever. But like, I always feel like if somebody literally got killed, like, that to me, that would be a hard hurdle to overcome, right? And you know, you could have that, you know, I don't know, Kirk in Star Trek Six mentality. You know, I've never trusted a Fetty ever since he blew away that guy on the Wapa. You know what I mean? Like, like instead of it being what it turns out to be at the end of this, where they're they're so filled with admiration for for how these guys composed themselves and handled the problem that they. They can't help themselves, like, because they're, you know, I, I, I don't even know what that would be equivalent to in your analogy, Mike, but it, it, it'd almost be like, you know, like, like the competitor supermarket, like, figured out how to, you know, stock bananas better than you guys, and you all drive over <laughs> in a fucking station wagon, you're like, dude, bro, you keep stocking those bananas, don't and then, look then, down, bro. Like, and after, look, look up, man. You know. And after we leave, like the guys are like, "Those are the guys that shit in our bananas." <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was I was laughing because the main Zeon guy is voiced by Terry Classen, who was like Krillin in like the yeah, Ocean yeah. Dub group. So I, all I can hear is like friggin' like, <laughs> you know, this is nuts. Like Gauko, like you know. <laughs> So much for going back home to Zeon. <laughs> I suppose we're not the only ones willing to risk our lives in this miserable war. <sighs> hey, what do you think he's like? That fool who removed all those bombs. Hey, Krillin! Hi! How's it going, Goku? <laughs> well, I think I think the thing with the Zeon group, like, and, and this is me thinking too much about it, obviously. But like Okay, orders come on from on high. Okay, white base is approaching. You guys got shit. You guys got fucking speeder bikes. You got a Zaku that maybe the, the, the dude's polishing it, you know, at some point. It's like, that's all I gotta do is polish this thing. So, does this guy even see combat? Who knows? Uh, they've got one of the, uh, uh, you know, reconnaissance jets uh, that gets blown up. Uh, they, they killed some of their people there, right there. Uh, you know, and their reconnaissance jet. Yeah, but, but like, yeah, yeah, and these guys uh, have been in the shit for a while. They've got a they've got a charismatic leader. 
they 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 reference it in the Japanese dub is like that guy. He's always so pumped and ready to go. He's like got a plan all the time, and it's not a bad plan for what they have. I mean, you know, they don't have a bunch of zakus. They don't have any like you know. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, If if you think about Mike's analogy, I mean, the the quote unquote leader is is not an officer, right? So again, you know, Mike may be the leader in his analogy, right? And he may have a good plan to stock bananas or whatever it is, right? But the problem is the actual manager in charge is like, I don't care how the bananas get stocked. I don't want to know about it just as long as it gets done. And like, that's what their CO is like at this base. He doesn't, he doesn't want to go out and engage anybody. He just wants to retain occupation and not rock the boat until the war is over until they can all go home whereas these guys are like man i hate this fucking place there's bugs there's not climate control we're not in a you know a side where the weather is you know dictated and all that other stuff that they're accustomed to right i don't have my air-conditioned comfort of home or whatever you want to equate it to and they're like look this CEO, he don't give a shit as long as we don't, like, make him look bad. But, like, let's, you know, maybe if we take out this Gundam, then we'll be hailed as heroes and we can all go home. And that was, you know, like, uh, you know, we can all go home. You know, <laughs> like, the, it's like the uh, Kirin or whatever. He's like fucking Guile or whatever in uh, Street Fighter. But that's, I mean, that that's the difference, right? Like, they're, they're, they're all just kind of making do with what they, they have. They dangled the carrot, too, because, like, okay, like, in, in a real military, like, setting in my head, here, here's how it goes. You have this little group. They get orders. You know, and it's like, hey, you know, we got to do a white base. So either A, two outcomes, basically. Either A, you destroy the Gundam, maybe white base, both. That'd be great. You know, thanks for doing a good job. Or B, you stall them long enough for us to get our shit together so we can come up with a better plan, which is probably was more likely. They're like, these guys ain't going to kill these guys. So how do we make them like want to do this? Oh, you can go home after this. After, if you kill the Gundam, like if you destroy the Gundam, you can go home. Damn but is that not. is that is that your interpretation? Because I don't I don't think they received any orders. I think this is them all thinking outside the box. This is them taking initiative, hoping in Mike's analogy, hoping corporate rewards them for their um, their initiative. But, but either way, I mean, it's it's a it's a you know false idea in their head. You know, it's like even if they yeah, they, they, they have no guarantee that even if they blew up the Gundam, like that they would all get to go home. But but that's kind of that that's kind of what was motivating them. Yeah, that that that's their they're they're, they're trying to uh, what is it? They're trying to uh, make a a self realized outcome. You know, it's like we do this. And we're we're the heroes. We get to go home, and it's like probably not. <laughs> you know, probably not. There's still a war going on. You know, it. it, it, it I, I give like, it, and and like you said, that's that's why these these this group of Zeon comes off as not so much as dicks because they're just like, dude, we've been in the shit for a while. 
I, we don't want to do this anymore, but hey, if we do this, you know, and like, hey, they, they might have drove off of their station wagon and just went, fucking kept on trucking. This series, I mean, and, and it'll become an airmark, airmark of Gundam in general. It like always does a great job of humanizing like the enemy, like, you know, making the enemy relatable and like not, you know, one dimensional evil guys. So. Yeah, not mustache twirling guys who are just like, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's like, you know, a good thing Bright and Mirai were like smart enough to put it together because, you know, Amaro <laughs> at the end was like, man, what a bunch of solid bros those guys were. Like, you know, <laughs> I want to go do a job. <laughs> what a bunch of carefree people that live on Earth just roll up and I mean, they could have, I mean, when you think about it, they could have dro- driven by with machine guns and been like, we're side, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> What what if they drove up and they're like, psych, and they threw another bomb on the Gundam? Like they throw a bomb at them and like it just clatters to the ground and they're like, now wait there for 30 minutes. (laughs) Don't go anywhere. (sighs) That guy's thirsty. Keep drinking. Geez, you think if they were all as girl crazy as they were at the beginning of the episode, they'd be like, dude, um, can we hang out and party with you guys? Because <laughs> yeah, they, they we, we, we've been stuck in this uh, the Zeon camp for so long. Like, we'll, we'll party with Frau Bo and Sela and Mirai, please. I was going to say, they, they, like, yeah, each of them gives like three new boyfriends. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, shit. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's funny as hell. Um, no, no, I mean, like, you know... Uh, I, I agree with you, though, Derek. Uh, like, uh, I, I think it started off slow, but it, w- it was, I, I would say, like, you know, as far as anime goes, as far as my knowledge of, like, well, not knowledge, but experience with anime, this is probably a filler episode. Do you need it? No, of course you don't need it. it, 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 it it's a self-contained story that is got a, a beginning, middle, and end. You know, it, like, does it really affect the overall arc that much there, there's there's little you know beats you know like you know there's things that will carry on to the future as far as relationships and whatnot but as far as the actual content you know it's it, it's what it is but at the same time i think it's like well it did start slow and there was like you know more of a dialogue heavy thing which gundam does like to do the the actual bomb scene and like the the you know the tension was done really well like you said the music building and like it's not just the big creature of the week or the the big robot we gotta fight you know it, it, it's like really something very not common but it's 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 not a i guess you would say like world ending threat it's like no we just gotta save Amaro and, and, and the Gundam, you know, it's like, and yes, if the Gundam gets destroyed, we have shit to deal with. But I mean, it's, but at the same time, it's self-contained. It's, it's not like, you know, Neon has the most powerful war machine ever created. No, it's like, you got some smart assholes who put some bombs on the fucking shit, and we got to figure out how to deal with it. And I, th- I think, like you said, if for this story, it was paced really well, uh, especially near the end. And and you really did feel like they were stakes. Yes, we've watched Gundam all the way through, so we know that 
Amaro's going to get out of it. But if you watch this for the first time, there probably was some tension. You're like, oh, shit, are they going to get out of this? You know? Well, I mean, I think it's a testament to the way it's it's directed and the 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 way they expertly use the music cues and everything like that. You know, it's like that that all you know. I mean, I don't know. It, it, that that's always the way it is with a bomb type. You know, it could be a bomb in the police procedural. It could be a bomb on the fucking A team. It could be a bomb wherever, right? But I mean. It, I don't know. I, I think that's a trope that works where you, you have that tension of, oh, fuck, dude, like they've only got so much time. Like and, and the Xeon know they only got 30 minutes and these guys don't even know how many minutes they got. You know, it's like they're, they're racing against the clock. And that's always something that's it's filled with high tension. So in conclusion, Frau Bell rules, Shayla drools. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so speaking of Shayla, Shayla. Typically, I'd be saying next episode, Sailor's Agony, who will survive? Dun, 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 dun. But there is the the famous, infamous Kura Cruz Doan's Island, and that is an episode that was cut from the Western release because Tamino, I guess, is ashamed of it or something. But we are going to cover that episode next time. And then it was interesting because I guess depending on the version that you're watching, like I think there's some confusion. I think on the Blu-ray it's just fine, but in in certain releases apparently or, or certain, you know, streaming or whatever, there are, you know, kind of goof-ups where it'll have like the visual preview of Doan's Island, but then translate like Sailor's Agony like dialogue next episode stuff or vice versa or something like that. So they don't, they don't match what is being said or the audio or anything like that. But yeah, that's what we're planning on covering. And I, I think the hope is by the time we cover episode 15, maybe we'll get to see this fancy schmancy expensively animated movie version of it as well. But yeah. Um, so that was, that was uh, our latest Mobile Suit Mondays. If you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can reach us at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to check out the backlog of episodes for Mobile Suit Mondays, you can direct download all of them over on fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. We have plenty of other shows, so please consider checking those out. We can be found on all kinds of social media. We're on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. And we can be found on Apple Podcasts. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music. So until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike. Zeon's in the house. This is Justin. Zig Zeon. This is Tony.
uh, quick question because uh, I miss uh, this could be edited out. But uh, when it when does Rod Morrell show up in uh, MSG again? Uh, well, technically, it would be the next episode if we weren't covering the Doan's Island episode. Okay, yeah, I thought so. So okay, I will try to be on that because Rod Morrell is one of my favorite villains. So I, I was just double checking on that. So I like to that. And 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 full disclosure, like I know we're planning on doing Doan's Island next week, but then after that, it could be like you know two weeks or it could be like yeah. you know two years before we get to episode 16 so i don't i don't um, think it's you know how that episode's not on the dvds it's not it, it's not i don't know how um, i'm gonna watch it it's uh, on youtube yeah you can oh, it, okay. sub, I, I don't know did they ever dub it like no. the, the sub no. yeah the subbed version is on youtube you, you can you can only watch it subtitled and it's not it's not on those dvds i gave you because it's yeah. cut Literally cut. It's uh, um, just GundamOfficial.com. Or GundamOfficial YouTube. I, I think it's just some... I think it's just some unofficial channel. Oh, yeah, I just not, found it. Oh, okay. I watched, I watched this last episode on GundamOfficial, so okay. Okay. Yeah. I could be wrong. No, the, I mean, probably because it's the official one. It's probably cut, so... Oh, yeah, true, true. Fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, okay, like, you know, I'm just going to say, why did he carry a bazooka to the forest? I mean, he has a beam gun. I mean, why the bazooka? Anyway. Probably didn't want to burn the whole forest. You know. the, the honest reason is probably the latest model kit had the bazooka equipped with it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, we're going to, yeah, next episode is going to be like, Gundam Hammer. <laughs> right, right. He didn't want to awaken Smokey Bear. <laughs> it's funny when 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 you were talking about Amaro's other relationships in the future, I was thinking of that that video you linked us to with the the uh, Super Robot Wars or whatever, and I was sitting there thinking, oh damn, Amaro's about to get a three way with Chan and uh, Bell Torch guy, yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Like, I love those, like, Super Robot Wars things, because it's, like, all these characters that never get to interact get to, like, interact. So it's, yeah. like, you know, Beltorchka brings him, like, the new high new Gundam, and then, like, Chan gave her all the info for it. So he's like, oh, you both, you were both solid babes. Like, thanks. Like, <laughs> thanks for being babes, babes. <laughs> Like, like I, I hate to, like, body shame anybody, but, like, fucking Amaro, I understand he's supposed to be, like, you know, young and attractive, but that motherfucker has a fucked up nose. <laughs> it, it looks like a, 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 a plum, like, just sitting on his face, and I'm just like, how do you pull bitches with that? Jeez. <laughs> I love your big, bulbous nose, Amaro. <laughs> bye, 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 bye. <laughs> But I mean, poor poor Frau Bo. It's even more crushingly sad in the novelization because she doesn't even get to come along with the white base. Like they dump her like in, at the first like Federation base, like they land at, and she stays there with the kids for the rest of the story. So and then like the next time she sees Amaro, it's like he's he like he dies at the end of the novel. So like the next time she sees him is his friggin' new type ghost, like saying goodbye to her. 
I'm dead. Bye. Bye. I thought, I thought you were going to say the next time she sees Amaro, he's busy banging Sailor. Yeah, well, there is that. But, like, I don't know. It's a lot less, like, uh, like he kind of, you know, it's a lot. He's a lot more cognizant of our feelings, like, in, in the novelization. And he's kind of like, hey, you know, like, I'll be. He's like, basically, I'll be back, like, and we'll take care of these kids together or whatever. And then he goes off on, you know, to fight the war and he, you know, gets with Sela and then he dies. And then, and then his ghost, like, appears to Bravo and he's like, so about that, um, hmm, awkward. Like, <laughs> it's happy to scoot around on them and just be like, ah, bomb. Here, have a bomb. <laughs> Wapa. Wapa. <laughs> Makes me think of. Wow, <laughs> I mean, how can you be cool in the Zeon army? It's like, what do you thought? What do you find? I thought it a Zaku. What do you find? A zombie. What do you find? A Wapa. What'd you get at Burger King? A Wapa. <laughs> a Wapa. I'll be Wapa here all night. Don't call it a Wapa. <laughs> get to the Wapa. 